the Oasis. Spider-Man robots fighting Mechagodzilla. Gunters. 80s reference. Jousting. Pac-Man fever. The Matrix, but with pop culture references. Easter eggs. 80s reference. Fat dudes getting the girl. Benevolent Steve Jobs. 80s reference. Sixers. Dungeons and Dragons. Secret arcades. Murder. Not Snow Crash. (laughs) (laughs) But similar. (laughs) All that and more on this week's episode of My Arms Are Lasers, featuring the book Ready Player One. Hey everyone, welcome to My Arms Are Lasers, a sci-fi podcast where we sink our teeth into sci-fi books and don't let go, I guess. Give it our own <laughs> flavor, saliva, if you will, all over it. Yeah, um, I'm Nick good. Allen. I'm Aaron Waltke. I'm Matt Lohman. And I'm Ellen Tremedy. Before we really get into that, I want to point out that an awesome fan of ours, Deuce Ex Machina, oh, yeah. created our own subreddit. And we didn't mention this last episode, but he created a subreddit. It's My Arms Are Lasers. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm actually quite impressed. He's, he's been very diligent and vigilant in mm-hmm. uh, moderating and posting all of our episodes. And people are actually subscribing and commenting on them, which is mm-hmm. kind of weird. It's awesome. But it's great. Uh, uh, so thank you, Deus Ex Machina. Is that yeah, right? Deus Ex. Yeah, Deus Ex Machinima, uh, for <laughs> setting up that uh, subreddit for us. Uh, that's pretty cool. And if you don't know about it, go to it, uh, reddit.com slash r slash myarmsarelasers. Yeah, where you can comment on all the episodes and check us out and make fun of us. You know, whenever someone posts there, one of us usually replies. So that's another way of reaching us if you want really want to talk to the humans behind these dulcet tones. And this week we are going to talk about... Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Ready Player One is one of those novels that, again, I kept hearing people bring up over and over again saying, Oh, have you read this? Did you like The Matrix? Oh, have you not read this? Did you? <laughs> if, you like, if you like The Matrix or Snow Crash, you really got to read Ready Player One because it's mm. great. That's what I kept hearing over and over again. Yeah. And I didn't realize they were being quite so literal with it. <laughs> like, liter- <laughs> it's literally the same premise as the matrix or snow crash but it's just done in a lot more sort of fanciful way and well we, we, we've actually reached the point now where we can do like a movie like the matrix or a book like uh snow crash as a genre and, yeah and just do a spin on it like yeah. this is this is you know the fanboys it's not the chosen one it's not the fate of the world in any like truly concrete way but it's it's sort of like we have to save the internet for the people who love the internet yeah Okay, so maybe we should just talk about the premise of Ready Player One a little bit. Just kind of like the, the sure. basic bare-bones story. What is this book? Where did it come from? What's it about? Well, it came from Ernest Cline. Okay. 2011. But it takes place it's in 2044. Yeah. So, yeah. So it takes place in the far future, as is the case with most of these stories. Not that far, though. <laughs> it's it's in the near-ish future. Yes. Uh as, as is the case with most of these stories, uh, America has pretty much fallen apart. You know, the, the society is very much in its decline, mainly because uh, everyone is just so poor and hungry that they they have no incentive to work. So basically, everybody is on welfare. Well, there's giant energy crisis where cars don't even work. People drove to the city because, you know, it's if you live too far away, 
you couldn't afford gas to go into the city for work. So everyone's drove into the city, their cars broke down because there's no gas, and I guess everyone... So then they just live in their cars, basically. Yeah. And they stack them on top of each, on top of each other in these <laughs> giant, really unsafe skyscrapers called the Stacks. Um, and Which that's, is also comprised of trailer park homes. Yeah, tra- it's mainly trailer park homes, but there's also buses and just large cars and whatnot. So, as sort of a, a collective remedy to all of the world's woes, everyone on the planet spends most of, the, of their time logging into this thing called the Oasis, which is basically the Matrix, except it's voluntary. <laughs> Where, it, you know, it's like Second Life. It's like it's like Snow Crash. It's, it's the natural extension the of Snow Crash. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's where, if Neil Stevenson was writing Snow Crash now, it's what he would have written when he knows, you know, which direction technology was going. Right. And which is to say, it's a giant online universe that everyone can log into, uh, have their avatar, be whoever they want, experience whatever they want. But it is it is coupled to, you know, like capitalism. Like, you, you're right. not free on the net. You know, you uh, our hero, Wade Watts, can only go to school on his planet virtually he can't he can't leave the planet because he can't afford to yeah it's free to everyone it's free to exist yeah but you have to subscribe but to really have a life you gotta have money yeah i mean every extra it's like living in the real world where you can have a moderate place and do some things in your town but if you want to fly take a bus travel that costs money go to different planets galaxies whatever yeah and so one element that i really liked and maybe it's just how kind of focused it is on a specific subculture of gaming but the way he describes the oasis is that every planet is sort of like its own niche of sort of geek culture right so you'd have like one planet that's the firefly planet another planet that's the dungeons and dragons planet the whedon verse is one oh i like that sector (laughs) yeah you'd have another one that's just like all classic arcade games you also have like a bdsm planet right or like town or something yeah there's yeah, all different it would be everything that you can imagine there would be like a planet that's like just for people who have that interest which is a pretty prescient way of exploring culture because culture is fracturing and becoming so uh niche and mm-hmm. like genre specific and everyone and that that makes total sense that in the future there'd be a place like hey if you want to just explore nothing but uh you know halo you, you can go hang out with the Halo. It's basically the subreddits of... <laughs> of humanity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Subreddit was the Oasis. So yeah. that's the world and the places it takes place in, which was created by James Halliday. Who uh, Ernest Klein is described as a cross between uh, Howard Hughes and Richard Garriott. And then Richard Garriott is the creator of the uh, Ultima series of uh, PC games, which I haven't okay. played, but from what I understand, are expansive and huge and laden with lore. Hmm. Yeah, and he was sort of the, uh, I guess you could say, well, what's the word? Oh, he was oh. he was kind of the Steve Wozniak to the Steve Jobs, except in, the, in See, this case. I think case, he was Jobs. Well, they, they kind of made the... Because Woz is, is Ogden, he made it. He's still alive. Right, but Ogden, the way they 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 who was the personality? They had like a whole ch- yeah. Ogden was the personality who sold the stuff, but the guy who actually made it was uh, okay. Maybe I'm misremembering. Well, I I equated. Um, I, I mean, Steve Jobs was it was eccentric. He was so a showman. I, so I equated him to Halliday. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bits and pieces about all of their personalities. But in, in the Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak dynamic, Steve Wozniak was the engineer who actually made the apples, and Steve Jobs was the guy who just kind of sold it. 
but in in our universe, Steve Jobs became super successful and wealthy because he just positioned himself that way. Mm-hmm. And this in this universe, it was the the Steve Wozniak, the guy who was like sort of like an introvert and didn't really care about people, but instead just would like, you know, tinker. make tinker and make this private uh, online world for himself, and that made him super duper wealthy. So anyway, so he James Halliday makes this online universe that everyone in the world basically subscribes mm-hmm. to. It makes becomes him a, a recluse, a recluse, but also a super duper multi 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 billionaire. Like what was it, two hundred billion dollars, something I think it was like 260. that? Two hundred sixty billion dollars, more than enough to like change the world. It seemed like yeah. So he makes this thing and then disappears for like 10 years becomes a complete recluse and then dies Mm. but upon his death he releases a video to the entire universe or the entire planet that says hey you know that game you've all been playing that you think is just a game well i hit it i hit a bunch of clues in there and if you solve it you will get my entire fortune so it's willy wonka basically Mm. um (laughs) and controlling interest in oasis yeah yeah so everyone goes nuts and then they all try to find the clue, but then they realize we have no idea where to look, mm-hmm. what any, where any yeah. of these clues are. Years go by. Yeah, Years he, go just, by. he just lets you know that there is an Easter egg. Yeah. yeah. And there's one clue. What's the one clue? Because our hero figures out our it's on his... Our first clue... So this contest gave rise to a couple factions here. First are the people that want to hunt down Halliday's egg, which became Egg Hunters, which shortened to Gunters. And then they like to work alone or in clans... Yeah. It seemed divided. Like, people could band together and like, okay, well, if one of us wins, we'll split it all up and we'll be a clan. So we'll share clues and notes and try to solve this together. And I would say, like, those are kind of like the true believer gamers. Like, in gaming mm-hmm. culture, those are the people who take gaming so seriously that anyone who doesn't totally embrace every aspect of, like, video gaming are plebs in their, in their <laughs> lexicon. Or noobs. Or noobs. And so, like... These are in the future, like the the Gunters are like the people who who their entire life and sort of per, uh, personality is centered around how they can further hunt for the egg. And they idolized Halliday, yeah. right? And an interesting aspect of their hunt and their culture is that uh, Halliday was obsessed with his childhood, which was in the eighties, right? So because he said he was so obsessed with. 80s culture and it was well known when all these people started searching for Halliday's Easter egg in the Oasis to find his fortune, everyone started researching the 80s and it led to a renaissance of 80s culture in the year <laughs> 2040 something. So every everybody just talks in references to like, uh, you know, breakfast, uh, the Breakfast Club and uh, mm-hmm. Star Wars and the fashion came back and Donkey Kong. I found the first little quote that he gave out in his opening video the first set of clues clues. basically the instructions for the whole easter egg game yeah lay it on us okay (laughs) three hidden keys open three secret gates wherein the errant will be tested for worthy traits and those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end where the prize awaits where they can masturbate (laughs) so that's the clue um our hero Wade Watts, a.k.a. Parsival. Which is amazing. I love, uh, in this 
there's like a lot of the Marvel DC Comics naming convention. Like Wade Watts is just such a classic superhero secret identity. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think there's even a, a, a the bit in the book where uh, he says that his dad was a huge comic book fan and named him Wade Watts because he was. A, so it's like this kid was like sort of the chosen one from childhood to be the the nerd messiah. Well, even like you were about to say before I cut you off is his handles uh, Parzival. Which is Percival, the the knight of the Round Table, who searched and found the Grail. Yeah, but there's two there's two different versions. There's one where he finds a Grail, and then it's the Fisher King is there, and then he just like leaves, and it isn't until he's back and telling them what happened. They're like, "You idiot!" And then he has to dedicate the rest of his life to refinding it. And there's the other one where he and Bors accompany Galahad to find the Grail. Mm-hmm. So depending on how it how you how it goes, it's either he's always looking or he has to be the person who ends up helping yeah um which that, is that ends up not being the case but yeah uh, it's just kind of interesting that that's that's what i mean obviously klein picked it on purpose but i thought it was a nice uh nod mm-hmm. yeah so, so part wade watts aka parsival who he's referred to as in most of the book is uniquely qualified because as we mentioned before he's super poor so he he's confined to this one planet called Ludus, which is just like a giant public school system planet. And because he's there, all you know, he has nothing to do but go to school and then educate himself as best he can and hang out with, you know, other students who are egg hunters or gunters. I liked the fact that the first clue was located on Ludus because it's like very humble beginnings like Halliday. You know, he grew up in a troubled household. Yeah. And he would often escape to, you know, well, it, it made escape a, Yeah, life. it made a lot of sense. If he wanted this to be a fair game, then he'd have to hide the first clue in a place where anyone could find it. And interesting, Ludus is the uh, Roman term for a gladiator school. Hmm. So, you know, you go there and you rise up. But the thing that, and, and I don't know when we're going to get into it, so I'll just jump into it now. <laughs> this is basically the last Starfighter for everything yeah. like like you're rewarded for your knowledge like it's not a waste of time like you know i i approach I'm, I'm such a geek everything i approach in my life i approach it like a geek where i don't like a lot of stuff but the stuff i do like i like as hard as i possibly can you consume every mm-hmm. nook and yeah. cranny so of it's it. like not only is is parcival being uh, rewarded for his 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 passions and knowing stuff he's rewarded for being relentless and knowing everything behind it and yeah. everything around and loving it. it yeah i mean it's almost like you know this is like hey geeks you're dedicating yourself to a thing and everyone tells you it's not going to work It'll but you never know <laughs> like it might pay off yeah. and then it's it's like you know ernie klein wrote this because you know he wrote like fanboys you know the movie fanboys and all that stuff and he cares so much about this stuff that he basically had to create his own payoff. It's like Voltaire's quote, if God did not exist, it would be necessary for us to invent him. Yeah. Ernie Klein had all that knowledge, and he had nothing to show for it, so he so made he this. So he wrote a book, and he's like, right. see, I put it all in this yeah. book. It makes sense now. Yeah. And now people... The book is the egg. <laughs> there well, was an Easter egg in the book. Yeah, apparently. I actually I actually just read that, and whoever gets it gets a free DeLorean yeah, or something. Yeah, it already happened. But yeah, yeah it happened. It happened. Well, what was the there. Easter egg? I, I, I didn't look into it. I just oh, remember... Well, can we look that up now? I didn't yeah, know Yeah, I just that. read that, that, that there's an Easter egg in both the softcover and hardcover edition. Here's the, uh, uh, here's the Wikipedia story. Ten months after the first edition release of the book, Klein revealed on his blog, Ready Player One itself contained an elaborate hidden Easter egg. So he had to say it was there. It's not like someone discovered it. But I mean, that's just the same way that Halliday... That's just the same as Halliday. Halliday said it. There's an Easter egg Um, somewhere in this. This clue would be... This clue would form the first part of a series of stage video gaming tests, similar to the plot of the novel 
Klein also revealed that the competition's grand prize would grand prize would be a DeLorean. I want to look up who won. I want to look oh, up what the, the, the final stage of the contest was announced on August first, two thousand twelve, and was to it was to set a world record on one of the several classic arcade. It was Joust, of, right? Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, it was Joust, and that was completed on August 9th, two thousand twelve, by Craig Queen, who set a new world record in Joust. He was wow. awarded the, the DeLorean. <laughs> Oh, he was awarded the the Delorean the prize on the show uh, X Play. Oh wow! <laughs> By Ernie Klein, he was like, "Here's your probably." <laughs> I don't know what the contest was though. I don't know what the clues. So, really quick, not to be a downer about the plot of uh, the book, but I did have this thought, and maybe it was because. Aaron and I tried this Twitter game where this rich guy was dropping cash throughout LA. And yeah, there's there a, were there's quotes. A tw- and there's a Twitter called Hidden Cash where the oh, guy yeah. just goes. It's just and ravaging put, Southern it California. destroys everything. And, you know, it created a, like a mob situation. And in the book, you know, but people's lives are at stake and and people die in the real world because these corporations want the money so badly. Well, so it's not it, the money, it's the it's the controlling it's interest. The power, right. It's, it's they could monetize Oasis. Exactly. And make more money, yeah. And they could and, ruin Facebook. I it, mean it, no more so. <laughs> but he willingly put kids at risk because he did it did this game and, and I mean it's it's very dangerous. It's not just a game. Well, well I, I mean did he did he put those kids at risk, or did he just kind of assume everyone would be, you know, on the level as good as him? Yeah, I don't think he saw it coming because at the end, Ogden revealed like the behind the scenes when when Halliday approached him, he's like, "Hey, can you please look after this game and make sure it's running right? Only step in if you have to, if there's something I hadn't thought of happens." Yeah, I think he was. They kind of pinioned him as being so kind of like socially inept and naive mm-hmm. that he just assumed that it would work out the way it did in his head. Well, I, 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 it comes off to me as short-sighted. Well, it is short-sighted. Fine. You're right. Yeah. I gotta say, in like in our world, if you spend too much time, I guess it's probably considered bad. Or other sci-fi worlds, you know, it's bad to live in this virtual reality system. In this book, I think it was actually necessary at the beginning because people in cities were cut off from each other. They could travel through the wastelands, possibly get attacked by road agents. Well, to to be fair, everything good that happened to wade mm-hmm. happened through this like he mm-hmm. met his friend h he met his girlfriend artemis he made friends with ogden he, he got be- in shape because yeah, he locked yeah. himself out unless he burnt calories yeah. he became like, famous yeah like literally literally at no like, point I get was there upside good- to to the real world right. there was no real yeah. world payoff right. at all in this game in this book except i mean Except at the end, when he, the, the end lesson was like, okay, this is fun, but this isn't real life, and you have to get out there. Whatever, he's gonna buy a house mm-hmm. next to Og, and he's gonna get like the the treadmill and like yeah. the, the zero mm-hmm. G suit, and he's gonna fuck that shit. He's gonna he's gonna nerd out so hard. <laughs> he just becomes the Howard Hughes with the long fingernails and hair. Yeah, uh, Ellen brought it up. Yeah, people's lives are at stake by another faction, the uh, Sixers, which AK- are pe- employees of. IOI, or which is basically Time Warner Cable on steroids, <laughs> and like after the, after the merger with Comcast, and maybe yeah. two times more evil, yeah, like 05 percent more evil. <laughs> Sorry, you want uh, fifty points? Basically, what Time Warner Cable will happen in the in the post apocalyptic wasteland? They'll just be like, all right, we're we're giving up the charade. We're gonna just kill people to get what we want. Well, in in that way, it was very much had this whole thriller component where this corporation is going after people because they yeah. want to beat the game, so they're finding people who are logged into the oasis in their homes and they're just grabbing them and throwing them off 
the building so that they die and then they can no longer play the game. Yeah. I have a question. Like, after Wade initially, the, the high five, the meeting of the high five, and Wade revealed that they tried to kill him. They blew up his stacks. They killed hundreds of people in the stacks to get to him. And then he was like, they're like, so what are you saying? We should team up? And everyone's like, no, no, ew, sick, no. <laughs> like, True. at that point, when when people's lives are at stake, wouldn't you be like, right. maybe we should. <laughs> maybe, think, maybe it just didn't feel real yet to them. It probably didn't feel real. Yeah. And, and I think just given the cult of internet anonymity that surrounded a lot of their activities, my guess is that they were there was still some reticence, like, is this a trick? You know, ah, mm-hmm. you know, and like you can't trust anyone or anything that you know online. So I you have to have like this kind of like wall up all times that eventually comes down at the end. I was trying yeah. to guess if there was going to be some big twist to the identities of one of the top five, but that I slowly let go of that. But I was wondering if one of them had teamed up with the Sixers, and I yeah, I, I actually wondered if there, there was a one moment towards the beginning where they're just starting to talk about the first. Uh, clue that they discovered in the Easter egg, and then and then they something like moves in the corner. Yeah, and then they're mm-hmm. like, and and then H is like, oh, I don't know, it was nothing. Forget about it. And I was like, yeah. oh wait, is H like a member of the Sixers, like in secret yeah. this whole time since they've made such a big deal about not knowing H's true identity? Right. Well, there's one kind of twist on it, but it's really more in like right. a gender role reversal. Yeah, there's where H was revealed to be a large, heavyset black woman. Right, <laughs> but in the end, it was just the same because the mannerisms were the same and the personality yeah. was the same. Cheshire cat smile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it turned out that 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 thing that fell over was actually just Og, the great and powerful Og. <laughs> he accessed the secret clubhouse. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, what are you doing here? This is this." This room was set to private. Only us could access this. Oh, I'm sorry. I only invented this oasis. Oh, you're just like on my personal computer. <laughs> right. Speaking of doing whatever he wants, um, can we talk about that like party? His birth is that the party scene? Yeah, the oh, his yeah. birthday party. Where the the six? Wait, let's set it up. I love the party so much because the, the just, party is well, basically what every nerd would think yeah. would be cool it's like i'll dj my own set I'll it's, gonna, fly be, around. it's, it's like, gonna be in zero gravity yeah it's Wait, we have to explain what it, what, what it is it was yeah. uh his birthday party ogden morrow's one billionaire of, one of the co-founders of oasis and he's sort of like the the noble kind of overseer of noble the game. steve jobs yeah noble steve jobs. not, not he, dick steve jobs right he invites the top five to come to his birthday and only two go artemis and Parzival. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like this huge dome where there's zero gravity and they float around. Anywhere you walk on it is like the outside of it is gravity, is the crust. So your feet stick to the wall and you could walk walk in a circle. It's on the inside of a globe. And then if you want to dance, you just jump into the middle of the circle. And then awkwardly <laughs> thrash around. <laughs> Or be, and try then to ev- swim. Everyone becomes globs of goo for yeah, a while or, and or dances turn, as goo blobs. Yeah, you can turn your avatar into goop. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the very, well, like, very no, center... Ogden like, turned the gravity, so like there's a slight pull. Like yeah. During a slow song, everyone was turning the same way. Like a disco ball. Yeah. <laughs> and he was in the very, very center spinning <laughs> yeah. as a DJ. But because... <laughs> <laughs> And it's probably the lamest spinning too. <laughs> yeah. No, he probably had like some like He played time after time. That is awesome. Yeah. Wade 
got up a, a dancing software to take over yeah. his avatar and basically kill him on the dance floor. Maybe Ogden Og had some software to do that for mixing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. No, he just hooked up his, his MP3 player and yeah. then just did like motions. And then, and, yeah. then his, and then his personal assistant, whose only job is to set his MP3 player, was like <laughs> pressing buttons and he was like, yeah. yeah. But I, I thought I of it. I am the floating DJ guy. Like, that is just what every nerd's like, and, oh yeah, like I'll come out and like I'll play. But I'll play like a guitar. I'll play, it'll, I'll play a guitar but I'll play it like a bass so people but will be like Whoa. I like how Wade showed up in his nerd out DeLorean yeah which had the Ghostbusters symbol on it <laughs> and there was like one other nerd thing thrown in there it's like it had yeah, the Ecto-1 license plate oh yeah it was too much. Yeah. It was like, and then he just shrank it down. Like in real life, if you, I, w- I don't know if it would be cool to have the Ghostbusters. Like you'd be like, oh, you ruined a DeLorean. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting pairing of, you know, it's like, oh, but that's that's but the, the DeLorean coolest, car. That's the coolest like, part is he got out and it shrunk into a micro machine and he put it in his pocket, which I thought was a cool feature. Yeah. Yeah. That was very cool. Yeah, that was one of the neat rules that each planet was either a magic, uh, allowed magic, allowed, and fighting. allowed PvP. Uh, or, player versus or, player, and technology, or both, or all of the above, and uh, or so, it was a safe planet where not you couldn't do anything. Yeah, or none of it. Yeah, and then not to mention like after uh, Og's birthday got invaded by Sixers trying well, to kill the Gunters <laughs> who came, uh, like he just goes, "Who invades my birthday party?" and then shoots purple lightning out in every direction and kills everyone. Yeah, that's what that's why I thought of it because you know that's just saying like he was one of the founders, so no matter what this is his world and if he wants you gone he's just gonna save his party and Mm -hmm. then get back to get back to it i thought that part was really cool i like to think that he adopted all of them at the end (laughs) (laughs) well artemis has parents yeah, but she doesn't care about them. Yeah, I, th- I think the only, I think the only <laughs> orphans are, are really Wade and H. H. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. So his girlfriend, Artemis, uh, her, her handle, Artemis, uh, goddess of the hunt, wild animals, wilderness. So, you know, she's a capable warrior in Oasis. She wants to keep the net free. But uh, Artemis in mythology also covered childbirth, virginity, protector of young girls, and then relieving and healing diseases in women. Mm. Hmm. That's uh, cool. And, and, and she was very much not his girlfriend throughout most yes, of the book. because she was freedom right. and wilderness. Yes. Yeah. And he falls in love with her initially through her blog. <laughs> he reads yes. her blog and has a mega crush on Listen, her. I mean, it's basically the love story I've of the 21st there. century. That's yeah. true, like, actually. Instead of seeing her from afar, yeah. it's instead of seeing her from afar and approaching her balcony and professing I read her, her love. Words. Yeah, I read her blog. I saw your Tumblr and I sent you a couple of anonymouses. Listen, <laughs> your this has were... happened to all of us. You see a Tumblr. Or I think in this book it's mentioned that he stalks pretty girls that play the ukulele. Or m- maybe it's Artemis that even did that. I, and I do the same exact thing. <laughs> yeah, that Wait, was what? I forgot Maybe. that yeah, part. There's, a, there's one line from Parsifal where he was just like, I went through a phase where I just I had really cr- big crushes on girls with ukuleles. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that So uh, I guess that won't be going out of fashion <laughs> anytime in the next 30 years. Yeah. Well, it'll come back. It'll come back. And it all then, comes um, full circle. Just to, just to not get out of the way, uh, two of the other uh, Gunters, uh, mm-hmm. the Japanese ones, oh, yeah. Daito and Shoto, uh, their names mean long sword and short sword. Aww. Yeah, those are those are the short swords that uh, a samurai in, in feudal Japan would wear. <laughs> that was cool. Oh, here, um, Nick found it. It says, I watched a lot of YouTube videos of cute, geeky girls playing 80s cover tunes on ukuleles. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Nick, are you Wade? <laughs> Let's see. I'm overweight. I, I um. Mm, 
Which you're online all the time. Except, the first time, except there's no prize right now. <laughs> yes, the DeLorean's already been won. And I'm not that into the '80s. Oh, like, you know, uh, just on the subject of uh, Dato and Shoto, I really liked when we found out that they weren't actually brothers mm-hmm. and they just were had that brother relationship via the Oasis. But yeah, they hadn't met. There was a certain point where I just learned to not trust anything when it came to like personal relationships, how they define themselves in the Oasis or online versus in the real world. Which is how things happen now. Yeah, exactly. Their whole website... Th- Matt, you used to work for like a marketing company. Yeah. Where you went into like a Futurama message board. I I had to go into chat rooms as not a member of a marketing company <laughs> and, and be, befriend people and befriend people. You and were a sixer. Yeah, it was awful. I it was soul crushing. Like I would go in. It's like okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to do ten messages, ten messages that are just whatever, and then send us send us uh, the URLs of each of those. Yeah. And then and then you start like selling the thing and. The would prob- you target people in a chat room that liked what you were trying to yeah, sell? Yeah, I would, exactly. I would go like to like... Trying to sell a motorcycle or something. Yeah, I would, like, I would go to, you know, like, whatever that TV show was. And I was like, oh, hey, by the way, <laughs> did you guys see that at Comic-Con? They're dropping a super deluxe box set. And everyone's like, well, there's no new content. It's just the box. And it's like, but it's such a cool box. But it's got, <laughs> it's got this cool bender head. But, but the worst part was it worked. And I, they, you these people all, of their own. these people all liked me, and they were like, "Hey, are you going to Comic Con? You said you're going to Comic Con to get your thing signed. Let's meet up." And it's like, "Let's meet up." And I was like, "Yeah!" And then I just <laughs> never, I never went there again. It was awful. It was, but, it's basically weaponizing your nerddom, and it's, uh, <laughs> and that's what was happening. And, and companies are catching on, and I hate it. I hate <laughs> it so much. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just remember in the in that uh, web forum, like that people were forming like personal relationships and yeah. stuff. Like they were like, oh, you know, we're we love Futurama, but we're married. So in this in this forum, yes. Would you consider a third? Yeah, that's loving Futurama. There was a couple of those. There was a couple like polyamorous message board uh. lovers, and uh, <laughs> uh, I hated it because it's like you know, Ready Player One. What Klein kept trying to do was make everything count. I think there's a there's a an underlying current to a lot of nerddom, to a lot of geekdom, where it's like. None of this matters. Like everything I love is is dumb. Like if I hate this movie, it still exists. If I love this movie, there's still people out there who won't see it. Mm-hmm. And you know, Ready Player One was basically like trying to say like everything counts. Even your crappy hometown where you played crappy video games, it's still important. Like it'll still matter somehow. And then yeah. the dark side of that is, of course it matters. You know, the Sixers I O uh, I O I. Of course it matters because. We can make money off of it. We you right. c- you care enough, you'll care enough to pay. And um, yeah, and that's just and, kind of interesting. And that's kind of like, like what free internet, free net, net true neutrality, and, and just like fandom and and like the commoditizing of nostalgia that's really happened in the in the geek community. Like the like self identifying as a nerd. We've talked about this before. You know, twenty years ago was not cool at all. No, like, and now. And now you just now I, I I keep getting these Facebook ads for like hey get your geek box just pay twenty dollars a month and you'll well that's because a- you looked up on your computer something geeky I don't know though <laughs> man but it just like it's like get your geek box and just pay twenty dollars a month and then we'll just send you a box of interchangeable geek crap oh yeah, yeah I had that yeah. I had that for a while and it's like it, is that just pointing out that you yeah, know when geek, you commoditize geek is chic right now if chic's cool yeah if you commoditize <laughs> fandom but it's interesting is is like the the there is a backlash. The fandom's kind of slowly learning, like, who's out for them. You know, you see it in uh, uh, the second new Star Trek movie, Into Darkness, was 
it was like, you know, you'll like it because it's Star Trek. It has all the same names, mm-hmm. and it's exciting, and it's flashy, and then the, the, everyone saw it, and everyone's like, Fuck "It's not you. Star Trek." <laughs> like, but it's got Khan. We got it. We got to have Khan. Fuck you! Like, we we did everything right. We followed all the steps. We got a director that you guys like. We filled it with actors that you guys like, and then like we made it. We, we followed all the steps. <laughs> Where is our money? It. And then they didn't get it. And the same thing happened with Amazing Spider-Man too. Yeah. Is, is before it came out, Sony was. Uh, Venom movies, Sinister Six movies, Amazing Spider-Man three, and it didn't make as it made less money than all the Spider-Man movies before. It still made a shitload of money, but and like no one was talking about it online in a positive way. And it's a full stop. It's like, what do you guys want from us? We followed the steps. We did everything we were supposed to do. Right. And and you're you're, you're you don't like it. And it's um, it's kind of interesting to see where, where it's going to like keep the going. The knowledge is there, but not the passion. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, it's there's like an a, oversaturation too now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's like a, it's the sort of cargo cult mentality where you know either you have the true passion, which is in the book that Halliday was trying to reward, yeah. like people that would like the stuff even if it seems completely inconsequential, and, but it would come part and parcel with the true passion for you know fandom versus. Uh, we have this, 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 and this, and this will equal success. Yeah, the cynicism of money. Like, it's just another way to, to get people. And also, just on a, just as a book, I appreciated it and enjoyed reading it. And I think of all the people who may not have had any experience in the 80s or 90s who might read it now and be reminded of all these interesting topics and yeah, movies I, and shows. And, and I everything. actually felt a little uncomfortable with like <laughs> how much it seemed like he was speaking directly to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's every it's single funny, like he absolutely loved bad eighties movies. Like, but no, he loved them. Yeah, not jokingly. Just, yeah, but but I mean, it's like <laughs> you're rewarded for being able to repeat it line for line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like just 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 that muscle memory of just having it always on in the background. That was even rewarded. It wasn't being yeah. good at video games or like finding knowledge. It was just Monty Python and just He's boom, knowing. boom, boom. Yeah, right. Like as soon as he realized that the first clue was in a Dungeons and Dragons tomb, <laughs> I went and and he started going. Aaron was it. hooked. Well, I was just like, oh my god, he's writing my subconscious basically, <laughs> and it's uh and. I actually met Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons and & Dragons. And, he, and, and why did you meet him? I, because I was doing a documentary that I'd actually never completed on role-playing games. Peak nerd. Yeah. And Aaron, Aaron would find the first key. Little do you, do you know that actually the uh, Dungeons & Dragons was created by a team that was very much like uh, Og, or Ogden and Halliday. Um, a two-person... Yeah, it was a two-person scheme, and, and Ogden was basically... Uh, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but Ogden had the exact mannerisms and everything as uh, Gary Gygax. It was in my mind. There there are zero coincidences in this book. Yeah, so There's, maybe... It, you're, you're, if, you, if you thought that, it was probably on purpose. Right. And so, like, when every single thing he mentioned, I was like, I've met these people. I know these people. I know these references. And, like, that kind of nostalgia train that he was writing from was, like, tapping into, like, my personal mm-hmm. passions. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. But it also felt a little bit ashamed. Like, is he making commentary on this or is he just genuinely liking it? And the more I read it, I realized it was both. 
he he both generally liked all this stuff but also is like at, by the end he realized you have to take a step back and re- focus on what's important well, but i mean it's like but it's also like when celebrate you, it's it. like when you make fun of your friends like, yeah my friends can talk shit about me they can bust my balls because they're my friends they know me like right anytime he it felt like he was taking a shot at nerddom it was with love it was with the love of someone who's like i'm the exact same way <laughs> <laughs> i want to ask how much percent of the references did you like personally know because there are a few i'm like does yeah. this really exist and i look it up and be like holy shit it does exist i but of course there's a lot i was obsessed with I, you i'm know, ashamed to as say a child of the I, 80s 90s i'm ashamed to say that i i probably got about 96 percent of the references there were some songs though and yeah some obscure games i was unfamiliar with so i'm gonna say more like 70 percent there was oh, that's still pretty high. <laughs> there, yeah, there was like the only stuff I didn't get off the bat was the references to some of the obscure '60s anime, I, because that was not really my jam. Mm-hmm. Like, like when he's talking about like the the Supida Man uh, robot. Like, yeah, it, that was Japanese, diving deep. <laughs> like, I was like, what are you talking about? And also, like, I'm not saying I was an expert on the topics, but most of the time, I at least was like, I know that name. Mm-hmm. I don't think I played Zork, but I did. Well, I'm sure that <laughs> I know that. I'm sure that's you guys did, you, but this is what I'm talking about. Like, I think I, my I was, brother. Oh my did. god, he's talking about Zork. <laughs> I played Zork. Well, oh most, my god, most people have played Zork, Aaron. <laughs> Haven't have they? they? I don't know. I'll be honest with you. The the only stuff I couldn't hang with was the tabletop role playing stuff. The anime I got, the movies I got, uh, everything, all the TV shows. I I had no problem. But as soon as he was like started going into like any RPG stuff, I was just like, I just gotta get through this part. Yeah. (laughs) Or or it's like it's like it's okay that I don't know this. That's not what that's not what matters about. Yeah. Well, those the module like that Lich module, the Tomb of Horrors, is is a classic. Yeah. That's that's like one of the go to. I've actually played. Believe it or not, I've played that module before. And so when he was Did going through it, uh, you know what? I think we did, but that we fought the Lich King, and he fucked us up. Yeah, well, it's a Lich. <laughs> yeah, but then we got all of his uh, his stuff. So I, nice. I love the uh, war war games part. They had to reenact war games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Monty Python, I got the Giver stuff. I got some of the earlier anime I did not get. Um, Atari games, no. I would have done poorly. I got Joust, because from Joust on, I knew those video yeah. games. Yeah, I just can't wait to write, write Ready Player Two, and it's all about like Halo <laughs> and old school. Ready Player Two, that would be yeah, a and good Edgar time. Wright movies. So would it so would it take place like thirty years later? Yeah, and and, and uh, the new Halliday would be Wade Watts, and he and would he create one. Own, he's like no, but Wade doesn't have any interests of his that aren't Halliday's. Well, maybe he's like we need. I need to branch out and find my own. There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> He has a family, and it's only about his family. People or there become is, immersed. Or there is a their... secret oasis, a meta oasis it beneath just, the it, it would have to. He be, wakes up and he's someone, in the Matrix. It would have to be someone born like, like five years before the events of this book, who would like go back and like you know watch Edgar Wright movies and then you know play classic Xbox with the baby head controller, you know, size of a child's face. Um, so this kind of ties into if you guys had to leave your own Halliday's egg. If you're successful and you wanted to lay clues about in a virtual reality system, sharing your passions, what would your contest include? You don't have to lay it out, but just like, what would be like maybe one clue or what would it involve? What passions would you have to share to Okay, get where, where you have to step inside and reenact a movie. You have That's to survive cool. an axe gang attack from Legend of Drunken Master, <laughs> where it's Ooh. you versus a hundred dudes. Yeah. You have to survive that. That's absolutely in there. 
Hmm. I think one of mine would be, I love The Simpsons, so at some point, there would be the line, to get past the spider's curse, simply quote a Bible verse. <laughs> and if and you the quote a Bible verse, it, you die. Yeah. You die immediately. You actually have to pick up a rock and throw it, it like Homer Simpson did. <laughs> Thou shalt not. Nah, screw nah, it. Screw it. <laughs> screw it. And then jump out the window and land on concrete. <laughs> I, would, I would make uh, someone become the star of their own uh, noir film and they would have to solve a murder mystery and survive in that world i'd, I'd be dead nice. <laughs> i'm not passing that test really? um, that's kind of a cool yeah it's like a game a, a game within the game yeah of, it would be more thriller oriented mm-hmm. uh mine would probably be a race around the world in zeppelins <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting okay. for you to get rich enough to do that now. <laughs> like, like, in like five years, in August on your birthday, it's like, gentlemen, select your Zeppelins. <laughs> the wager is afoot. <laughs> I think my live-through movie moment would probably Jim Cotta when he's like in the town of crazies. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up about Jim Cotta. I love Jim Cotta so you. much. I hate it and I hate you. <laughs> Please watch that movie and I'm write not, to myarmsarelasers at gmail.com. The, Jim we could talk though, about it like, forever. That would be something that would be obscure enough that would be in like a Holiday's Egg hunt. Because he, he, yeah. he obsesses about like, he mentions in the book like one of his favorite movies is Lady Hawk, inexplicably. Yeah. Which is like an otherwise pretty unremarkable like Matthew Broderick fantasy movie from like the... And even the other Gunters were like, no, that's not canon. Yeah. He's like, no, he mentions it. No, yeah, he mentions it, but it doesn't make it canon. Canon, right, and there's an argument over. Oh, it. that is just that is just pure nerd, just distilled and yep. injected into your brain. <laughs> Discussions of what's canon. I mean, uh, like eighty percent of my waking life is trying to figure out what's canon and what's not. And like yeah. the Marvel universe and just Star Wars. So let's talk about maybe the three clues because the the way the the, the book, three keys the three yeah the way it works is three secret keys unlocked three secret doors. So each. Each uh, key is found by a clue, and then on the key is another clue that takes you to the door. And then the door then, is an actual test or something like and, that. It will be a test. And when you yeah. get through the door, that's when you get the smaller bonus points, or did you get the 200,000 only when you went through the gate or you when got you got the, the key? You got the bonus points, but the bonus points really didn't matter. It's sort of like whose line is it anyway? <laughs> so it was the key that got all the points. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. As long as you are the first one to, to complete the challenge, you win, basically. No, because other people got the keys. Yeah. But I mean, as long as you complete the whole, you find the egg. The first one. To, yeah. yeah. The, well, the yeah. Egg is the well, only yeah. I, I was just. You just I, don't have to be the first one. I just couldn't no. remember which which part got you the hundred thousand points. I think it's when you went through, completed the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got when you, you complete the, the yeah. gate, then you get a ton of points and you so, get gold. So Wade could finally leave Ludus. Yeah. So the first key was found because the the clue if you remember was like he who uh something something is no knows his has knowledge i don't remember anyway it has something to do with <laughs> the planet ludus it has, it has on the we're edge. doing real great on this <laughs> well you can read it again play, yeah play ellen what ellen read just now again <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Beep, boop, boop, boop. okay thank you ellen thanks ellen <laughs> so as he's in Latin class on Ludus, he was like, oh, Ludus means, like, knowledge or learning or school or something. And then he's like, oh, that means it could be here's, on Ludus. Here's the first one for the copper key. Okay. The copper key awaits explorers in a tomb filled with horrors. But you have much to learn if you hope to earn a place among the high scores. Okay, so there you go. It was so, a much to learn. That yeah, clicked. much to learn, a place to learn. And then, it, yeah. And then the Tomb of Horrors, he instantly knew, was the D&D module Tomb of Horrors. 
so he was like but how how can we f- how can i find that and then he, he was like oh what if i ran it through like a gps scan of the yeah, entire like planet <laughs> it scanned the surface and matched any images that looked like a skull yeah do you think that this clue was way too easy for well, I was, five years of no one getting it i was just gonna say a, 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 a small note that i had while reading the entire book is just to have to believe that over all the years and time that, that no one else could figure out the, the clue but i don't know i guess if if the oasis is as big as they said it was like it's if it's galaxies then maybe mm-hmm. yeah. maybe it's just too much like how would you know thousands which school upon thousands which, of planets yeah, yeah. that was and i, I like that how tied into you know the humble beginnings like yeah of course he would put it where anyone could reach it not and just I, the right. super right rich. and i think that they they actually they kind of covered that when because as soon as someone found out it was ludus then suddenly like hundreds of people got the first key because they knew the tomb of horrors because their stupid friend irock right but the fact that he was able to just run gps imaging software it's like couldn't they have systematically done that to done every that to single every planet? planet yeah but you've got to think is each planet is like a website Right. You know, are you going to run a search program on like every single planet? Yeah. And no one's going to look at Ludus because it's a public and school. The, and the Tomb of Horrors module did exist, I think, elsewhere and on other planets, but it's just like not the right one. So yeah, I mean, yeah, like Aaron, like at some point, some nerd built it, and then he and his friends ran through it. Yeah, you know, it just it wasn't the one Holiday built. And uh, then I found that the was second, the first challenge, uh, right? And then he, so then he takes the key to the gate, uh, which is. In his old bedroom, not Hall- Halliday's old bedroom. In Halliday's old bedroom on a planet that is basically with like nothing but the town. A simulated yeah. Yeah. version of his old bedroom yes. in the him. Oasis. Good on him for st- you know keeping to his roots. He came from Midwest as a Midwestern. Yes. Yeah, so he, go- so he goes into like onto his old old like Apple II computer, plug- plays like his game, and it unlocks a door that's a movie poster of War Games, and then he has to reenact the entire movie of War Games. But isn't this the second key? That was the first key, wasn't it? That he, was the he door, gets the copper the key. He gets the key, yeah, and then, and he, then goes he, to the does, gate. he does the second thing, and that's what tells him to go to the hometown. No, the the first the, key was War Games. Yeah, the, t- the first he, gate. That was the gate. The gate was gate War key. Games. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So he goes through the gate of War Games, completes it, and then he's like, "You've you've passed through the gate. You win." And then he gets the next key, which says he gets the next clue. He gets the next clue to find the key, which was what Matt read. What Matt? The cap. The captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling long neglected, but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are all collected. So he's like instantly somehow he knows. Oh, blow the whistle when with captain collecting. That must be referring to the the phone freakers, which were like some of the first hackers who found out that uh, when you dial on a phone, <laughs> there's like a series of really distant uh, whistle sounds, and mm-hmm. if you if you reenact those whistle patterns in just such a way, you can call you can place free collect calls. Which was an interesting story. Yeah, yeah, and it's true too. I actually heard about that, and there was a guy named the captain who who got like an old Captain Crunch whistle out of a cereal box and could uh, legendarily can place collect calls like Alaska just by playing different notes into the phone. And that was really interesting. I'd never heard that before. Yeah. But a lot of time passed between people finding the first key. Yeah. Right. Months. Months. And so he he he, know, he knew that part, but he didn't know where the dwelling long ne- neglected was. Uh, and that was when Artemis found it, and she like threw him a bone and was like, "Look, it's it's this." And it was Zork because she had, because he had helped her. Yeah, exactly. And Zork was this. no, wasn't it H? Oh, you know, you're right. It yeah, was H. it was H. Artemis did it first. Or was that the third one? Artemis did it first, and then H figured it out, and then H because Artemis 
yeah. excommunicated him because <laughs> he was being a weirdo right because at the the dance party that we mentioned earlier he confessed his love for artemis and and she realized that they needed to focus on the game so she cut him out which was true yeah and, i mean so she broke his heart and then they weren't speaking so she didn't help him but h h was yeah. like now we're even so zork if you don't know is a a text-based adventure game, which is one of the first of its kind. Aaron Walkie, My Arms Are Lasers, local Zork expert. Aficionado. Yeah, and the classic setup would be like it was just text and said, you are in a room. And then you can in the room is a shelf and a door. And then <laughs> so you can say, type, you can literally type in, turn left, or go left, go through door. Was it just like two groups or... You would just two words. I mean, yeah. You would just much. you would have to say a command and what. So if you say go through door and say you go through the door, mm. uh, you now see a field, and that that's how you would play it. And the original Zork was just you had to do like these little tasks and not get eaten by this thing called a Gru, which is just like a monster that could only <laughs> that would only live in the darkness. Anyway, so he he goes to the the Zork planet and does the Zork thing and then opens the cabinet and in there is a, a Captain Crunch series box and there's a whistle and he blows the whistle and then the key appears after he's collected all the trophies from the game mm -hmm. and then what's the test for the gate the gate was he had to go to the planet from blade runner oh that is it okay yeah that's and take the test to find out whether or not he was a replicant right that was awesome <laughs> just like in the movie uh and he, so he does that and then the gate opens and then what was that the challenge or did he ha was there a challenge once he went through the gate he did, he, i remember he had to he had to shoot his way out or yeah, he had to shoot his way in. Yeah. Well, that's pretty specific, isn't it? <laughs> he had to shoot his way in, and then he, he took the test, but I feel like there was a, a gate challenge. Yeah, and like it, it, just, uh, oh, it just opened up the next part. Yeah, that sounds full, right. Full disclosure, I read this book uh, on the recommendation of uh, producer uh, Joey Reinish, and I remember really liking it, and I remember liking it a lot more than, than he did, although he truly you know enjoyed it. But then when... So this was like a year and a half ago. And then when we were going to do this book for this podcast and Nick asked me to come on, I was like, yeah, no problem. And then when I sat down to start reading Ready Player One, I was just like, ah, I don't want to read this again. Um, <laughs> and I can't tell you why. I have I have no idea why. So um, Okay, I found it. That's why I'm not helpful. Well, there's, there's, so much, there's so much in it. I mean, in some ways he reminds me a little bit of Bright Easton Ellis when I read American Psycho, which is an encyclopedia of just stuff that Patrick Bateman owns and there's so much in it about soaps and lotions and 90s culture and maybe when you read a book that's just so heavily saturated it's not as easy to just jump back into it maybe so it was fun though it's a fun read let's see I think yeah the second gate was a recreation of the Tyrell building from Blade Runner yeah so he takes Clears the test it by defeating an immersive simulation of the game Black Dragon. Oh, right. Okay. And then locates the third key inside a simulation of the the Rush Megadon yeah. city. So, the, so the, key, the clue for the third key was basically like in the something Syrax or something. Sirenex or Sirenix. We are the priests of the Temple Sirenix. Our great computers filled the hallowed halls. We are the priests of the Temples of Sirenix. All the gifts of life are held within our walls. 
So that was a reference to a, a Rush album that was vaguely like sci-fi fantasy themed. And it had, the album had like a red star that yeah. weighed... <laughs> had to play a, a Rush me- song. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes to the Rush planet and plays a Rush song in the... In the and- like, no, I like once he found the guitar or the clue to use the guitar as a key, he, he didn't immediately go to the gate. He's like, you know what? I'm here. Might as well play it. it. So he looks up like tablature and thumbs his way through a rush song. I took an item out of my inventory, a (laughs) wand that could detect hidden traps, magical or otherwise. I used it to make sure the area was clear. Then I jumped down through the trap door and landed on the dusty floor of the hidden chamber. It was a tiny, cube-shaped room with large, rough-hewn stones standing against the north wall. Embedded in the stone, neck first, was an electric guitar. I recognize his designs from 2112 concert footage I'd watched during the trip there. It was a 1974 Gibson Les Paul, the exact guitar used by Alex Lifeson during the 2112 tour. And, and then, then he, so he, he he does the thing, just, you know, He's like, well, well. I, I should probably yeah. just rock out on this. And then uh, when he finished playing the first measure of Discovery <laughs> off the album, a message briefly appeared carved in the stone from which I pulled the guitar. The first was ringed in red metal. The second in green stone. The third is clear as crystal and cannot be unlocked alone. Which is just like a bonus clue saying you can't unlock the first, the third gate by yourself. Uh, which is one of the kind of messages of the the game, which is you you shouldn't be a loner. You yeah. know, games are best played with other people. <laughs> so he goes to the so he goes to the third gate. He finds out that the third gate is in fact at Anorax. Anorax, who is the uh, avatar of Halliday himself, his castle, which is kind of impermeable, but unfortunately the Sixers, the big evil corporation, have already sent all of their drones there, and they've completely, Mm -hmm. like... Force-fielded it off. Force-fielded it off, so no one can get in, and it's just them trying every permutation with, like, their big teams of oologists, which Mm -hmm. are, like, egg studiers, uh, trying to figure out how to crack this third gate. Yeah, but because they lacked the passion, they they didn't have the third key. Yeah. I like how they cheat. Like, at first, everyone's like, oh, they're the Suxers. They, you know, they're they're dumb. They don't have the passion. And it turns out they're a viable threat. Like, shit, once they found the first gate, they blocked it off. Even though it was in a, a Peaver's P sector, they still stopped all the other Gunters from going in. And they're like, oh, shit, we should take them seriously. Yeah. They're backed up by people that just, like, research the hell out of Holiday. But that that's the problem is, like, this book... And like this is like the point Klein was trying to make is, this book could not have been written via research. Like you should, you had to just be able to pluck it out of your brain at at right. will to put, and then you can go back and like refine it. Like when you look up, it's like wait, wait, is this wait? What was the name of the moon? But if you don't have those large pieces, like there's no way you could write this book. There's no mm-hmm. way you could cynically sit out and say I'm gonna write the ultimate geek novel yeah. that just hits all their nostalgia buttons. This is, money. this is something that had been marinating inside of him for a yeah. very long time. <laughs> there is definitely passion in this yeah. book. Because it's like the Sixers didn't have, they didn't play the thing. Because they cynically went down there, grabbed the guitar, and left. Right. Like, none of them would have been like, I'm on the Rush planet. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> I rock out. Like you know? Yeah. Um, it should have been a Neil Peart drum like, solo. At the third gate, when the Sixers are trying to uh, turn it, they're like, oh, turn it counterclockwise. Okay, speak elf. <laughs> then turn yeah. it. Speak of, yeah. And then they're like, oh, try it. It might be related to a biblical verse. And then H was, when he was talking to... Everyone's like... Yeah, they're like, um, he was an atheist. That's so you stupid. Idiot. Yeah, why would they try that? Yeah. But it seems like the natural progression of just trying shit try out. Try anything, yeah. Maybe eventually they might get to, oh, let's try two. Oh, let's try, let's three, try three, you know. Yeah. Could we... Could we talk about something a little um, different? 
for a second? Okay. Sure. Like another book? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, your, like our favorite I, sandwiches? Like um, um, online romance? <laughs> no, actually. I want to hit on that. <laughs> we can get we, we can get there, but first, let's. I want to talk uh-huh. about his apartment that he goes to that becomes his safe haven after his home is blown up, and I want to talk about some of the interesting features that it has, including a shower that has a non-toxic hair removal component, so he's completely hairless. <laughs> yeah, I missed yeah. that the first time I read it. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I, so he's just this bald, even, but, but even I, eyebrowless. I, I totally get that, because yeah. it's like, when I get, I get my hair cut like every like two and a half, three months, and they just <laughs> buzz it. I mean, as yeah. short as it can possibly be, so I don't have to worry about it for three months. Yeah. Like, yeah. I totally got, it's like, all I care about is this geek stuff that I'm doing, and just, I can't be bothered with that was, bullshit. He was like, "I look a little funny without eyebrows, but I got used to it." No, <laughs> just I, totally it, hairless. It, I totally get that. I it's totally just funny. get that. He's I'm, not going outside. No one's going to no, see him. No, he's not yeah. going outside. He he spray painted his windows. windows black, so there was no sunlight coming in. He has this whole contraption that and and his like skin suit. It's like a haptic suit. Haptic suit that he wears, and he gets into his chair. And one question about the the chair and the treadmill. Yeah. My question, which how it seems, is that he can just sit and his avatar can walk. Mm-hmm. But if he chooses to stand, he could run and walk forward as well. Yeah. Is he was just doing it for exercise, I think. Yeah, he forced himself to. Uh, he he actually was I like, "Wow, I'm getting so really." I'm well, getting that, really but that's fat. that's different than what I was just saying. I was imagining like a system that comes down from the ceiling, latches onto his back, not unlike Pacific Rim, but like he could walk if he want to. But, but at he the doesn't same have time, to. He just well, I mean, this idea back. it shows up in. Um, a Neil Stevenson novel, uh, Reemdy, where one of the guys like used to be really fat, and he just would play this. Uh, it was basically a, a Warcraft style game, and he decided he would just get a standing setup and just walk while he played. Yeah, it wouldn't be very fast, but he's like rail thin by the time the story ends, and he used to be really heavy. And I think that's it's like the same. It's an option. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, you can still use it. You know, you can still just hold down the arrow key. Right. And I guess, I guess, I think there was something like that. Rig is slightly more. Uh, it gives you more responsiveness, yeah. and like your touch bo- and smell yeah, if you want. Than trying to just do oh it yeah, he had the olfactory machine that could produce the smell of whatever simulation. But he, he usually was in. had it off. Yeah, yeah. Because the same fear I had if that ever became technology is just some asshole. Right. Like I'm just gonna fill with farts. Yeah, <laughs> That's what he said. He awful. said like some some gunters would just fill <laughs> with fart smells. But yeah, w- smell but bomb. but when he went and played the arcade game uh, Pac Man and got the extra life uh, the quarter. He was in a pizza parlor, and it smelled like pizza. Yeah. Oh, that's something that's I, I wanted to talk about. It. I I really liked the concept of artifacts that they used in the in mm-hmm. the, the the oasis. That it's dangerous to go alone. Right. Like this. And that's and so like some sometimes like if you really concentrated and played like a specific level that someone had built. Uh, you can get these rare one of a kind drops, item drops, a la like War, World of Warcraft that that uh, would be like the only thing in the Oasis that could do this specific thing that and they would be extremely powerful. And there's a few that pop up in the story itself. There's one that the Sixers use. Mecha Godzilla. Uh, there's two actually the Sixers use. One that's really um, problematic for our heroes is it creates a an impermeable force field. Mm-hmm. That will never go down, and it's completely unaffected by everything, like both attacks, magic, everything. So as long as that that artifact is being activated, no one can get in and out, and that's put on the last one. There's also one that uh, they got that at an auction. 
Yeah, like they, they bought that off an it. online they auction. They just had so much Wait, was credit was force field at the auction, or was it the bomb? There's both. The bomb was in a, at an auction, but is an anonymous. Yeah. Everyone, so they didn't know for sure. But, but I think assumed. the Sixers outright publicly yeah. purchased yes. the bomb. Because a lot of the artifacts... The, 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 the uh, force field. Because a lot of the artifacts they find they can get a lot more a lot of money from IOI who just by default would pay top dollar to collect all artifacts thinking it might help them with the the hunt so there's there's a bomb that would eliminate everything like every single living thing including in the force field including the force field in a a sector and that was really dangerous but it was like why would you ever do that because you would kill your own avatar by activating it and but it would only be useful in some place oh, yeah, like ioi who they would have an entire fleet of backup avatars ready to send in there was another that was a stone it was like you could use it once a day to find out exactly where an avatar was yeah yes in that sector or you could find out what sector and they were if you the were in a different had one that. yeah yeah and then that the, might have been the anonymous and then the, one and our heroes possessed a few one was uh, a pill that bas- <laughs> that literally turned whoever used it into full-size giant Ultraman, which, which is awesome. pretty great. Uh, I looked up the suit, because I, I was unfamiliar with Ultraman. Uh, I grew up with Ultraman, and I have great. I have the entire uh, series on DVD. Yeah. It was $6 at Frost. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with Ultraman, it's basically... He wears, Get familiar. Like, Get familiar. <laughs> but it, it's... It, think that whole... Uh, kaiju Japanese world. He fought, basically fought giant monsters that were dudes in rubber suits. But he would he with would, wrestling moves. But he was like a giant robot looking dude that wore like spandex and then had like a rocketeer like helmet he had, on like, his a head. Featureless face and then a, a fin from the forehead all the way to the back. <laughs> and it's, and he could and he had like alien eyes and he could shoot uh, lasers out of his. And it was amazing. Crossed, Aaron, his, it looks exactly like <laughs> if you ripped off your human skin costume that you're wearing right now. <laughs> Ultraman would be there. Yes, it's. It looks like so. He got a pill that would turn you into a giant Ultraman for three minutes, uh, but you had to deactivate it before then, or you would die, mm-hmm. basically. And so the, he uses that a couple times in the uh, the book, and both times it's great. It's amazing. Well, he gives it to Daito or Shoto. He gives Shido? it to Daito and Shoto, who use it once to protect themselves. Uh, although one of them gets killed in the real world, and as so it's happening. So his his avatar dies. And then his brother runs over, picks it up. Yeah, and then the, se- the second time wait. is at the very end when when uh, Mechagodzilla being piloted by the CEO Sorrento of, <laughs> Sorrento of of IOI. Uh, he's piloting Mechagodzilla, and <laughs> and a hush falls over the crowd. <laughs> yeah, because they know what this means. Because Mechagodzilla is like one of the most Im- impossible to kill beings in the <laughs> kaiju universe. I want to give a shout out to our uh, one of our Twitter followers. I asked, uh, "What's your favorite part of Ready Player One?" And at Magnilio tweeted, "One of my favorite parts would be the fight between Ultraman and Mechagodzilla yep. alongside other giants." Absolutely. So that there's a big, uh, basically, rumble in the jungle between all of these people who who uh, cleared a gate and got their own uh, giant mechs. Like Jap- most of them Japanese, yeah. like a Gundam, and then oh, the- like the image was ri- gave me chills actually at the hundreds of thousands of gunters surrounding this castle, and in front of them stood the- these giant mechs. Yeah, <laughs> fighting it out. And um, of course, Wade comes down and lands in like the one knee pose. You know, <laughs> right. the, the three points. Of course. <laughs> I I have a quick question about the um, the rules of the world if you die. Mm-hmm. So I took it to mean that if you die and you come back, you just come back with no armor, yeah, no level thing, one, level one, brand new, no money. no money. The keys would disappear. The gates you opened would disappear. But could you then at that moment just 
start trying to do the game again. Like, if Wade yes. hadn't had that extra life, everyone would have just started frantically trying to be the first one to complete it all again, right? Yes. Yeah. If the if the Sixers didn't already have tons of backups who already had all three keys completed, then that would have been exactly what would have happened. But They would have lost. <laughs> but instead, luckily, Wade had, by accident, he thought he was getting a key, but instead he was getting an artifact programmed well, by he, he kind of knew it wasn't part of the main quest. He's once like, he, this once is he got weird. There. Yeah, once he got But he there. had to play a perfect game of Pac-Man. Yeah, he yeah. the kill screen. In the pizza parlor. And then, and then when he got it, he got this coin that he didn't know what it did, and it turns out that it gave him an extra life, which became of the Vital. utmost importance <laughs> at the very end when, set off the bomb. when they set off this universe bomb that kills everyone in the entire sector, and suddenly he's the only one alive directly in front of the gate. Well, the, the gate's like, what, 19 feet above him or <laughs> yeah. something? Yeah, because it left a giant crater. So he had to, like, run around because there are all the items of all the dead avatars yeah. surrounding him. He had to find all the artifacts. So he had to, like, there. find what, what artifacts he could find, one of which was a pair of sneakers that Artemis had that let her fly without having to use, like, jetpacks or anything. They were just That's- like a, they're That's like how my game would end, except I wouldn't be able to find her Chuck Taylors. I'd just be like, well, just here, jumping right. in the air, trying to get to this <laughs> Right, <laughs> like the end of the uh, Twilight I would break film, my ankle. when he breaks yeah. his glasses and he can't read the book. And then the Sixers, yeah. so and the sixers show up in their ship outside yeah. the sector it's, and yeah. just strafe Well, you. someone just blast that asshole. <laughs> they, they just go, pew, to kill you. Or they just <laughs> land on you and then climb on top of their ship and then... <laughs> Uh, I got it. Smush. That but even like the, even then, they're still a foot short, so they drag out your skull and just st- use yeah. it as a stepping stone. Yeah, I feel like that would be the end of some like depressing '70s version of this. Yeah, book. absolutely. <laughs> well, Wade got super depressed there. He's like, "I've already established what's going to happen." It's oh, yeah. this is before. This is when the Sixers found the third gate. Oh, can we talk for a moment about how there's a moment in this book where Wade basically tells us his plan is to commit suicide? Yeah. He was like, "Oh, I, I've already decided how I'm gonna like, do it. If if they if they win, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna commit suicide. And nothing to live sad. for. Yeah, because the only thing he's invested in right is, is the Oasis. Is Oasis. And if he loses it to the Sixers, Artemis wasn't with him. So yeah, he just, didn't have anything. Yeah. Didn't have anybody. That was well, a bummer moment. We could also discuss his uh, suicide run." to become enslaved to the oh, yeah. IOI corporation. Right. So basically, his, his the, big plan. the third gate has been sealed off by the Sixers. He and all the other Gunter communities, their hopes are dashed because they have no way of getting the Holiday's Egg now uh, as long as that shield is up, and it will always be up mm-hmm. unless someone can go inside this impenetrable shield somehow and shut it down from it within. <laughs> and then, and of course, no one knows how to do that. Until Wade Parsifal has the bright idea, what if I go into like the IRL, like the the real life headquarters of IOI in the real world? In to the be real clear. world, IRL, IRL, <laughs> okay. and good use. And he find if I can find a way into the IOI headquarters and shut it down from within their servers, then I could do it. And so he he basically makes himself an intentioned servant. Yeah, he, he goes in a super debt to them. He, he pro- I love this he, fact of the uh, real world that people corporations could just indenture people. Yeah, yeah I feel like debt. I feel like we need to explain that a little bit clearly for for people who might not be okay, familiar. Okay, so IOI is the way they work in the future now is like they get free labor, like free tech support by finding people who owe them outstanding debts for their uh, internet providing service, <laughs> and then they they because they're such a powerful corporation, they've passed all these 
indentured servitude laws that allow them to basically go to their house and say, well, you belong to us now. And then you're going to work off your debt and kidnap them and then plunk them in like these basically barracks and say like, all right, you're a tech support guy now. Until you pay back indentured servitude. But it's like a coal mine where they never pay back their debts because everything costs too much and and they just get taxes on taxes and you make no money working for them. And so they're just stuck as these slaves, basically. And so he becomes a slave artificially, like he programs to make it look like he owes the money. Yeah, under a fake name. Under a fake name. Brian, or was it Bryce Lynch? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They come, kidnap him, they basically burn, in a really terrifying scene, actually. They, yeah. Like, they just burn through the wall, and, like, they're just, like, like technicians. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, then they right, come in, they ball gag him, so he can't give any yeah, that was, more commands. Yeah, that was disturbing, and it's so interesting that they ball gag people in this future world because they don't want you to be able to give any more verbal commands to your computer. Yeah. So they, and then they're they like, you. shut up or I'll tase you in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they load him onto this bus, they ship him to IOI headquarters, uh, and it wasn't a very far trip because he actually lived pretty close to... It was all in this in this mech town, mecca Columbus, of technology Ohio. that's just in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, where, where I was born. Ah, oh. the mecca. Um, <laughs> so, so he so he, he gets shipped in. He's, I gotta say, when, like, like this whole venture, at first I'm like, is this, is this believable? Is this, like, like yeah. here's this geeky guy, and, and I feel like most people... When they believe they're they're badass online, they probably aren't in real life. Uh But he's lived in that world so much that I think he and he's invested so much in it that I'm like, okay, I guess he would. His identity is that that would turn over into thinking he's a badass in real life. Well, actually, my I mean, one of my thoughts was was simply that yes, he is a master in the Oasis, but I actually I had kind of forgotten to think of him as a hacker genius. Uh, until that moment where he's has to hack through security clearances and it's it's a, it's a different thing when you're programming and versus like being an expert at video games and culture and so I don't know so but I felt like Ernest Klein would just sort of give us reasons why everything worked and you had to just run with it yeah and that that was like fine. it was just brief and then I'm like okay it's enough to buy it yeah and it's exciting to see how things worked in the real, yeah. in the real world. So, yeah. so during the day, he, he's like monitored by cameras everywhere and then has to... A camera do, on his ear. And he has to do tech support for people trying to use like IOI stuff. For in the Hot Oasis. Cox 6-9 yeah. or something. Hot yeah. Cox and, he's, and he makes fun of them and gets, uh, he, you know, gets, gets c- deducted and, and censored. Reprimanded. But he's like, all right, whatever, and fixes it for them. And then... But then at night, he basically puts his the camera feed on him on like a loop, that old trick, to yeah, make it look like he, he's sleeping. He speeds it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then he hacks into like the personal console that normally is only programmed to either tell you more information about your job, or you can watch one TV show that is just a sitcom <laughs> that's actually just an instructional manual disguised as a sitcom. Or is it Johnny something? Yeah, like Johnny Quizzy or something. <laughs> so he he managed he before he went into the system, he bought online some codes that uh, allowed you to hack IOI systems. They were passwords, but they could only be used in IOI. So they were they he got them for really cheap because of like who would need those passwords unless you were already like stuck in the system and couldn't use them. Uh, well, can wait. Why would no one want those codes if they could help you hack? 
because IOI. you can only use them if you are in IOI and who is their gods in, in their well, right disgruntled mind. employees that ultimately left yeah. them or built yeah. in back doors. Someone else might want them. But people selling them were like, yeah, they're kind of worthless because no one could get on the in right. the infrastructure. Yeah, unless you're screwed, which he kind of was. So he so he got in and he was able to, to get all of the dossiers of, and found out that all of the other people that uh, were in his uh, gang, the top five gunters, uh, were being targeted and were probably going to be killed soon if they did anything rash. And so he sends that dossier, those dossiers to them. They all become friends again. <laughs> and then he uh, he uh, makes his escape after downloading everything onto like a thumb drive and then clearing it of his name and then putting on like a maintenance suit that he ordered for himself and then just kind of walking <laughs> out the front door. And then the woman stops him. Uh, your ear's bleeding like a lot. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, thanks. Keeps going. Yeah. He manages to bring it down. He sets it on a timer. Like he's like, I'll, this will go down at this on this day, and I have to be logged in, ready to go in, in order to get into Halliday's final gate. And in that me- in the meantime, he's like, how are we going to get past this army of Sixers? So he sends out an email to the entire Oasis, like summoning his army, saying, "We're all. It's going to go down in three days, <laughs> and all of you need be to help us th- be there at noon." And so they all show up, as he was expecting. I loved how when the shields did go down, he, they were expected like, well, I bet only about, like, you know, 70% will join in, maybe 60 But there wasn't even, like, a waiting time. Well, there's the initial, like, oh, it's down. There's, like, a, a calm in the storm. And then immediately everyone just rushed. Yeah. Even w- the ones that know they're going to die, their their avatars are going to die. I love how he like, brought down the shield, too. He From the inside IOI, he commanded, he's like, in three days' time, I need you to, to deliver and activate a bomb to the inside. It was of- like a dummy little uh, it was a, peon robot. It, it was a, it was a Johnny like, Five from Short like Circuit. Johnny Five <laughs> from Short Circuit just comes calmly. up and just c- calmly walks in past all the check pay- checkpoints in the IOI dome and then delivers a bomb right next to where the, the the artifact wizard. was and yeah, then just blows it <laughs> so then they rush it so then they rush it and then uh they're able to get it get in and the one thing that the the sixers never realized was that you have to work together as friends in because order to solve the, the last the hint was charity hope and faith which is like three well they're like the say it backwards number. hope faith and charity or faith hope and charity which is the schoolhouse rock song which three is the this was number. my favorite part where yeah. they incorporated the song and they started th- singing it they're like no more no less you don't have to guess <laughs> yeah it's a magic number so yeah, that's when is. they realize they have to do it together. And they do it, uh, but just as they do it and the gate is open, that's when it explodes. And then it's up to only Wade is left. <laughs> and his magic sector. converses. And his magic converses are to, to <laughs> clear the last gate. And part of what helped him realize that it took three was the clue he got when he found the guitar, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the, the one. the IOI people didn't find that either, the Sixers. Yeah, mm-hmm. they just brushed that aside. So they go through the. So he goes through the last gate. He manages to fly through. And what were the th- what were the challenges that he did, had to do? It was just like a, a series of like uh, you know th- a quick rapid fire. Do this now. You have to do this now. You have to do this. I cracked my knuckles, then flew forward into the gate, and my avatar vanished into a whirlpool of stars. Next chapter, I found myself standing in a vast, dark, empty space. I couldn't see the walls or ceiling. Blah blah blah. blah. 
Then a booming electronic voice echoed through the void. It sounded as if I was being generated by a primitive speech synthesizer, like those used in Qbert or in Gorf. Beat the high score or be destroyed, the voice announced. A shaft of light appeared, shining down from somewhere high above. There, in front of me, at the base of this long pillar of light, stood an old, coin-operated arcade game. I recognized its distinctive angular cabinet immediately. Tempest. Atari. 1980. All right. Yeah, so as a video do... game he was not good at. Yeah, <laughs> so he had to do... He had to beat Tempest... And then he got sucked into the the entire script of Monty Python and the Holy Grail that he had to recite word for word. And as he's doing this, his friends have patched in and are like cheering him on and like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. Come on, I heard Artemis whisper. You had to know Tempest was going to Fack in the Third Gate somehow. It was so obvious. Oh, really? I said. <laughs> Why? Because of the quote on the last page of the Almanac, she replied. I must uneasy make, lest too light winning make the prize light. I know the quote, I said annoyed. It's from Shakespeare. But I figure it's Halliday's way of letting us know how difficult he's going to make the hunt. But it was from the Tempest. So they played Tempest. Then, and then didn't Artemis actually play Tempest? Because it Well, Wade, she knew it, it would have a significant No, but part, it, so. it's not Wade's game. He was, like, panicking. Um, I think she kind of talked him through it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, she didn't play it for him. Guys haven't played Tempest in years. You don't have to. Look at the copyright year. Oh, yeah. And there was, a, uh, there was a glitch or something where if you, killed, if you killed yourself at a certain score, then you would suddenly get the like 99 lives. The version that shipped with a bug in the game code. When Tempest first hit the arcades, kids discovered if you died with a certain score, the machine would give you a bunch of free credits. So he got like 99 lives to basically figure out how to play Tempest. And it was, a, it was just a race between him and Sorrento. Yeah, and then after that he had to. I talk. think it's forty lives. I think. But Wait, well, how, what, how was Sorrento killed again? But wasn't he killed? He was killed but in the bomb, but then he just jumped over, in the next. Because uh, they had they had a yeah. ship full of other avatars. Yeah, and Sorrento got into the managed to get through the gate like twenty minutes after him, and he had all of the 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 other uh, oologists of IOI basically speed running him through. The moment someone enters the third gate, a live vid feed of their avatar appears at the top of the scoreboard. And then it culminates into uh, Atari game. game adventure, right? Uh, we look down. Then look down. That's where I was inside the first scene of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So he had to really be good at that. Yeah, which so he, he was. He, and he was actually having fun. And he started having fun, which is the whole point. Like games should be fun. It shouldn't be like an obsession. Uh, and then, and then finally, he was left into a giant room that had like every single video game console and computer ever made, and he had to go figure out which one he was supposed to play. And of course, There's it was a, a uh, password. Yeah, and of course, it was uh, he had to play Adventure, which was the first game that made Halliday want to be it. It was a recreation of James Halliday's office. Yeah. Uh, so he goes and plays adventure, he, he does it, he gets the egg, and then Anorak himself appears and says, Hey, here's the keys of the kingdom, you, you basically have my avatar's powers now, and if you uh, do whatever you want, there's a big red button over on the wall, you can even shut down the oasis if you want, it'll delete it forever. Uh, but <laughs> Only do this if yeah, you really had, want he, it, but here's the he, button, he, he had to find the right. He had to find the right computer, yeah. one of the oldest and IMSAI8080, the same out of computer Matthew Broderick owned in war games. When I booted it up, the screen is completely blank, save for one word, login. I typed in Hanorak and hit enter. Identification not recognized, connection terminated. He tried Holiday, it didn't work. He tried WOPR, Joshua. He typed in OG. He tried run. his love. He ty I typed in Kieran, hit the enter key. It did not work. Kieran was Ogden's wife, but we didn't find out until the end that Holiday himself was in love with her. Then I remembered a line from Ogden Morrow's biography. The opposite sex made Jim extremely nervous, and Kira was the only girl that ever saw him speak to in a relaxed manner. But even then, it was only in character as Anorak. During the course of our gaming sessions, he would only address her as Lucosia in the name of her D&D &D character. He typed it in, and it worked. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> 
So he he does it. He logs in. He gets the he gets the egg, and then Anorak Anorak appears and says, "You have all my powers now, uh, but don't do what I did. You know, don't be a lonely little. Don't fuck. be alone forever. Don't be a don't be a forever alone kid. <laughs> don't uh, be a sad kid." And, yeah, also you get all my money. I created the Oasis because I never felt at home in the real world. I didn't know how to connect with the people there. I was afraid for all of my life, right up until I knew it was ending. That's when I realized as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it's on, it's also the only place where you can find true happiness because reality is real. Do you understand? Yes, I said. I think I do. Good. He said, giving me a wink. Don't make the same mistake I did. Don't hide in here forever. He smiled and took a few steps away from me. All right. thing that covers everything. It's time for me to blow this pop stand. Then Holiday began to disappear. He smiled and waved goodbye as Avatar slowly faded out of existence. Good luck, Parzival, he said, and thanks. Thanks for playing my game. And then he was completely gone. Yeah, I have to go now. My planet needs me. And so, and so he he emerges like he's he was there in some in some haptic rooms in Ogden's uh, <laughs> private mansion. They all emerge. All the Gunters meet for the first time in real life. And we're like, what now? And I guess I guess we just start living. Well, he meets Artemis in real life for yeah. the first time. and In a hedge maze. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, nope, even more beautiful than I imagined. Like, he saw a folder. Except for that folder. hideous wine-stained <laughs> birthmark no, on her face. She had a huge birthmark, but otherwise she looked like her uh, avatar. Well, he preferred that because it was real. Yeah. But what if he saw it in person and like, ugh. So he did see her but he did see her in person. He didn't react that way. But so, what if he was like, uh, uh, I'll this brings pass. up the point of online romance. Like, well, you just never, <laughs> you just never know who you're talking to. So if you meet somebody in real life, they might not be who you're expecting. Yeah, like they brought up each opposing views. Wade was like, no, online on in Oasis, it's all personality. And I agree with uh, Artemis's counter argument. And it's like, no. It's the personality that we allow you to show you. We choose what we could write. We right. could edit it. You create your only personality. Seeing, right. yeah. You're seeing one side of someone, and it's, it, it might be that you end up caring for all of them, but you won't. You wouldn't know unless you met them. Yeah. Also, just really fast, this is sort of an obscure thing that I noticed. Sometimes uh, Ernest Klein would use she and, and her instead of he as like the general pronoun. Um, I highlighted it a couple times. I just found it interesting. Oh, yeah. Where is that um, a third e- or a second Easter egg in the book? Maybe. So the one quote that I, I highlighted said, first I would choose one of the kids in my official fan club, someone with no money and a first level newbie avatar, and give her every item I owned." Huh. He did it a few times. He's gender neutral, progressive, gender uh, progressive. Yeah, it was cool. In some role playing games. Uh, pathfinder the in like the the guidebook and how to play when they're describing characters they do that a lot yeah they actually in all Why of not? it yeah, refers the, to uh, it's, it's her or she is the is it, a pronoun is that D too do they do that too uh no but isn't there like some new sort of uh sort of post-feminist way or like neo-modern way of describing humans that are that like new words where it's not he or she well, I've, I've heard people just start saying they well, what's the interesting is, is is they tried to come up, like, you know, linguists and stuff and, yeah. and experts. Language, they tried to come up with a, a gender-neutral pronoun. And they found that the the people who had done it were inner-city kids in Baltimore. was when they were talking about someone and they didn't know who it was, they said, yo. Hmm. So what happened? Yo blew it up. <laughs> Who's yo? What's his name? Well, we don't know if it's a he or a she. It's not a street name. It's just yo. yo. And then it's like, it's just kind of like everything in language 
got invented kind of organically. Yeah, I thought sure. that was really interesting since this, since the Oasis is a place where you could be male or female and you don't know what pe- people really look like or who they really are. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he, he mixed up how he would refer to a he or she. So, I enjoyed this. I didn't like it more than snow crash but i got into it way faster like this from page one i was into it It snow crash took me a little while but in the ultimate uh i liked snow crash better but this is still pretty great i will say that this is a book that i i started reading and then as soon as i figured out what he was doing i couldn't put it down Mm -hmm. like and i haven't said that about a book in a long time (laughs) but i just kept like i i just would stay up and just read like 150 pages at a time just pushing those buttons for you yeah it was weird it was it was like what i assume crack is like i'm being rewarded (laughs) i'm being rewarded for my devotion (laughs) this book is rewarding my devotion it was it was just it's like where's he going i'm i'm on board what's he gonna do (laughs) he needs to save all of us gunters oh he did that thing that i'm also i also know about (laughs) ernest klein has a little marionette of aaron walk he's like dance <laughs> he has you for life now yeah i was i i was like i i don't even care if this is a good or bad book i just want to read it yeah. i want to finish and see what it does how about the rest of you what'd you guys think well i i liked it a lot i felt that there were some moments where i had to go with what ernest klein was telling me the the way that the plot all unfolded um, some of the assumptions that the main character made, I would pause for a moment and say, would it happen this way? Because it's such an expansive world and there's so many rules. And But if just able to suspend my disbelief uh, mm-hmm. and run with the book, I thought it was really enjoyable and a lot of fun to read and a great thriller, fast-paced read. So I, I did like it very much. Uh, I Like I said, I really enjoyed the first time I read it, but then when it came time to, to do a reread, I just couldn't do it. Um, I think it's it's like Ellen said. It's just it's so much. It's like you know I I spent this last time like reading stuff to make sure you know, we were getting stuff right towards the end. And um, the later parts, like when he's in the when he's in the IOI base, or you know when he's taking the final test, that stuff I, I really dug and I really like uh, Ernie Klein's voice. It's just up front right away when he's building the world it's just so much and i just i i couldn't i um yeah he goes like a lot lot he explained how pong works and like we get it i guess i i did like that he managed to squeeze in shout outs to just just about everything though he even shouts out to the metaverse at one point he says he does yeah he says like you know there's the whedon verse the metaverse whatever you want as if to sort of be like i know this is just like the metaverse i'm I'm aware of it and it's like okay i mean what wouldn't be in like an online simulation world everything's gonna be and there and uh, Will Wheaton actually reads the audible uh, the audiobook for this and, and he uh, has a shout out he has a shout out and i i was actually kind of disappointed that when he's like when he says his own name in the book he doesn't like have an audible whoop or something <laughs> or say it in like a like trumpets <laughs> in the background <laughs> yeah and so in the book he's he's mentioned by Ernest Cline as him and Cory Doctorow are yes. senators who who work really hard to prevent uh, internet rights Who's from going to the toilet. Yes, they work in the real world as politicians protecting He's, a, he's like a writer for Wired. For the Oasis. All right. He's, like, he's a big Twitter guy. Then why don't I know um, about him? How freaking scary was it when Wade's talking to him in to Sorrento in his office and he refers to him as his real name? He goes, Wade. Yeah, Better that rethink was... that, Wade. That reminded Boom. me of... But like, of course, I'm like... <laughs> 
Of course this corporation knows who you are. Right. They spy on everyone. I automatically assume that my... Like, look, right now on my Chromebook, I have duct tape over the camera. Because I know. (laughs) Me too. You're being watched. Yeah. I know you just accepted it. uh, Yeah, and that part definitely uh, reminded me of some great 90s thrillers, like... The net and yeah. the pelican brief. They can see me. Just like all these thrillers were, yeah. It's just, and now it's just a, a, now it's just a, a given. Like, of course the NSA is watching us have sex. <laughs> Duh. Of course they see my peen. What, what's your point? That's I just mean, life. You're welcome, NSA, for my peen pick. <laughs> this is directed at them. Uh, well, I think that's a that's that's a pretty good encapsulation of what's great yeah. about Ready Player yeah. One. Peen Dick picks. picks. We're all on board with that. <laughs> yeah, they do have a whole section on masturbation, but we don't have to get into that. Uh, every well, one of these you bring books, it up. every one of these books discusses masturbation in some form. <laughs> well, it's super important. Especially you can, you when you read the book to get more off. info. I like how he got the sex doll and immediately threw it away. He's like, no, I'm he, not. No, I can't. yeah, he wasted one week, and he's like, I can't do this. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that low yet. <laughs> I'm a hermit. I live in this place alone. I spray painted my shutters or my window shut. But I'm there a is a line. Yeah, there, there's still a line. <laughs> All right, so that was Ready Player One. Our next book, we're just gonna, you know, go big or go home. Dune. Ooh. Are we doing? We're doing. We're doing. Dune. I haven't read Dune we're before. Dooning, <laughs> we're doing Dune. Dune. We're doing it, guys. Excited. And we're gonna hammer out the Dune drinking games before. Drink, doing drinking game rules before that happens. I don't know if we can do that on air. Just no, we're not so going to do it on air. Go on no, we're going to do it in between, so we have it set. We're going to time. We're going to no, 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 no. I'm, no, no, I'm not saying play it. I'm just saying explain the rules. Like it's so complicated. <laughs> it's more complicated than the Dune verse. Wait, it's when jumping are we... <laughs> thousands of years and clones and stuff? When are we playing a Dune drinking game? Whenever I, I buy two thirty packs and we're just okay. going to sit down. I don't think that's enough beer. Three no, you have four, to collect like fifty cans of beer. You have to collect fifty cans of beer and <laughs> to we'll win. Also, it's more dangerous than wizard stuff. And we have to pour enough for the worm. <laughs> okay, multiple times. <laughs> the tequila well, let, shot. Let, with the let worm. me know when we're end? doing that so that I have to have the book read before then, right? Or how do yeah. you how do no, you play? No, no. Well, you just you, have you, to be aware. Just Wikipedia the book. No, no, I, I have to read it. I have to read it. I have to read it. That might be a separate the Dune drinking game. I don't think we separate podcast. We could do it after the regular podcast. Okay, maybe. We'll, we'll do it sometime. We'll figure it out. All right, all right, all right. I don't think you need to know the book to play it. We'll explain it as we go. All right. <laughs> so, read Dune right into the show uh, at My Arms or Lasers on Twitter or My Arms or Lasers at Gmail. I'm Nick Allen at Go to Miss Prime. I'm Ellen at ET Phone H. I'm Aaron at Good Aaron. I'm Matt Lohman at Lat Moman. Thanks for listening. 80s song, play us out. Won't you come see about me? I'll be alone. Dancing. <laughs>